Scott. Hey, man, how are you? Good, man, good. Chill, uh... You know, I'm still thinking about the space we did yesterday with Ryan Selkis. It was epic, man. He just learned a lot. Yeah, I mean, he's just unbelievable. It's hard to keep up. <laughs> Actually, though, he, he did message me. I don't know if you saw. I think he ruptured it. I did, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, he had a real uh, medical emergency uh, and was out of there. I'm also watching Ran right now with Gareth on YouTube, you know, on our show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll be, joining, uh, he'll be joining shortly. But, man, um, what happened with the markets? Uh, just ca- casual Thursday evening and, and Friday morning, I think. Yeah, I mean, listen, we were here um, talking about these exact levels, I think, and they just got here a hell of a lot faster than anybody anticipated. But I think we have like an absolutely epic panel here today to discuss the market. So I don't even want to dig into it yet until we, we get everyone on stage and start talking about it. Um, I think there's a lot of ways you could take your opinion man let's 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 start with the basics like how how are the markets performing just do do just a traditional market update before we start digging into exactly what happened and why yeah i mean listen everything across the board is is down the s&p down nasdaq down bitcoin massively down i think the surprise narrative and i'm looking forward to talking to ben about this does and listen it's only one day of evidence is the fact that altcoins actually somewhat outperformed bitcoin on that drop which i think is surprising we have obviously the evergrand news that there's filed for chapter 15 bankruptcy in new york and then of course the fact that uh you know 10-year yields are hitting all new highs here on this cycle a lot of indications uh, of I think you know so, some some weakness. Although actually, the, to be fair, ten-year yields being up high is actually probably an indication that the economy is stronger than than we would expect. But I'm sure that uh, Mike McGlone will go ahead and tell us that means the Fed's going to keep tightening. <laughs> but just I, I want to also just highlight the the China news. I, I had a meeting today with, um, uh, with 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 a close friend and who was on Bloomberg just before the meeting, and um, he he told me he goes Mario, I was actually pretty you know optimistic on on Bloomberg. But, uh, you know, between me and you, things are a lot worse than people make it out to be when it comes to China. And he's genuinely very, very, very concerned. Um, so that that got me worried because he's, he's usually a pretty uh, level-headed guy, more of an optimist. Um, so that was a pretty scary conversation I had earlier today. And obviously, we saw the bloodbath yesterday. Um, but the what, what are the narratives out there? I know there's one narrative. There's still a rumor about uh, SpaceX. I think it's SpaceX. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Selling. Let me get the numbers out. Selling how much uh, Bitcoin? Um, where is it around numbers? All right, just over 300 million, 320 something million. I don't have it exactly, but uh, there's now some confusion whether they just wrote it down as an accounting tactic or whether they actually sold pretty vague Wall Street Journal uh, language. Also, I think it's important to note, but we'll get into this deeper. Uh, if they sold, it certainly didn't happen yesterday. I, I right? looked so, on the SEC like, Edgar database. I couldn't find any filing about this. Yeah, so there you go. James is uh, deeper in the weeds on this and can't see any evidence of the actual sale. Yeah, which makes it all more more and more confusing. And I think Kyle, who's been on the show before, he's got a good summary of this. I'm going to find it quickly and read it out for the audience. But let's start with the panel. Uh, guys, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for Gareth. Oh, Gareth, is he? Gareth, you always give us a quick update. And then obviously, I'd, I'd love to have a uh, back and forth with Benjamin. We, we had you, Benjamin, on, on the show a couple of weeks ago. And it was uh, one of my... my uh, Favorite shows in a bad way because it scared the shit out of me. But but Gareth, we broke through the levels we were discussing in the last show. We annihilated those levels. Please give us some direction. Where, where are we now? What's the next support level? 
Hey, thank you, Mario. Yeah, Rand was keeping me there. Sorry about that for being a couple minutes late. Um, so a couple things to go over. We know we broke that 28,000 level. We saw that big flush. The volume in Bitcoin specifically, and really all of crypto, has been so light that when you trade below a key technical level, there's a lot of stops that get flushed, right? So there's no buy volume to kind of absorb that. And that's why you on some of these exchanges, you saw almost down to 25K very quickly. Um, now, the key is this, is that we're now below 28, which makes the chart vulnerable to 25. 25 is your next key support because that was where the spot ETF news for BlackRock hit, and we saw the big move from 25 to 31 and change. So that psychologically to me is a major, major level because of that. If we broke below that, there's a lot of buyers that bought in on that, the thesis that BlackRock and this is the new bull market that are going to kind of be saying, whoa, what the heck just happened? If 25 breaks, it's then 2020 is the low that when Silicon Valley Bank failed, that was the low that kind of catapulted Bitcoin actually all the way to 31,000 when those banks were failing. So those are your technical levels on the way down. Um, is there a chance that we don't take out 25? Yeah, there's always a chance of it. But I don't like the fact that the upsloping trend line that was at 28 got taken out. That does mean it's vulnerable. My one thesis for Bitcoin really going down significantly would be that if we do see, I mean, we've seen the stock market starting to take some hits now more and more. If the stock market starts going down significantly, it's going to be very hard with kind of deleveraging and moving money away from you know margin and all that to keep Bitcoin from selling off at the same time. So, so again, just be a little cautious here. Um, it doesn't mean there's not some opportunities for swing trades, but again, you want to see anything that can recapture 28,000 or so would be very bullish. Otherwise, you have to start expecting 25. Hey, Gareth, Chad, just want to show you, I just pinned a tweet above, just really interesting to add to your point. And this is something we had talked about. The level, I think, of the year has been 25,000 on Coinbase, 25,214. I know it was 25,212 on Bitstamp. I mean, if you look at the Coinbase chart right now, that is literally to the dollar, the exact level where we had the bouts. Like two, two, I think literally maybe even to the penny on Coinbase. And that was the level we'd been talking about. And for anyone who doesn't know, if you're a technical analyst, this was the first higher high we had in the bear market cycle. So breaking that level was a really big sign that things had turned more bullish. So holding it really, really is important, but astounding to see it bounce literally almost to the penny from there on a move as big as this. I want to know how many Gareth Soloways there actually are because Gareth Soloway was just on my show. I don't understand how he was also on Spaces. Um, You're doing the same thing, guys. Guys, just a, just a quick question. Uh, but does anyone have an explanation on what really causes? Someone asked this question to to Ryan and Benjamin. Uh, obviously, we're just speculating here. China seems to be the only plausible. But to, to, you know, again, this is the biggest drop, the biggest liquidation we've seen since FTX. Um, uh, I think I've read that somewhere. But everyone's coming up with different rumors. When it's even SpaceX, which just that that rumor kind of made no sense. Um, so, so my question is. Is there any explanation for this? Well, the, the, let Ben speak about the, the, the technicals because he'll, I'm sure the charts have actually been predicting this if you've been looking at the charts. Um, the fundamentals, pretty much there's no liquidity in the market. We are at the lowest levels of Bitcoin um, uh, trading that we've been in, in as far as the charts can actually record. And so when you take that and you drop Evergrande, and Evergrande is big news, it's serious news. And the reason why it's serious news is because 70% of China's wealth is in property. And if the property sector collapses, 
effectively the banks start to collapse. If the banks start to collapse, the country pretty much starts to collapse. So people are worried about Chinese contagion. We, Gareth and I discussed it on my show, and Gareth doesn't believe that there's going to be contagion because he thinks the government's actually going to print money. And then you take that, and then you just throw a little bit of spice in it in terms of this SpaceX sold. That's just like, you know, it's just like the, the icing on the cake. Um, even though it was just a write-down in their balance sheet, and a write-down could mean they're just impairing the the, the, the value of the assets, then that then that causes um, a, a bunch of liquidations. When you have no volume in the market, the liquidations just cascade because there's no buyers. And as you go lower and lower, people with low liquidation levels get liquidated. And I know a lot of traders reached out to me this morning and said, you know, we can't believe it. We got liquidated at 24,000, 24,200. But there are no buyers in this market. That's why it's happening. Benjamin, we'd love to ask you that same question. Um, yeah, so my, my general view on this is that, you know, there, we always are going to seek out a narrative to try to explain, like, why the price did a certain thing. Um, but uh, again, like, the narrative follows the price, not the other way around. So if price goes down, you know, we'll find the narrative to support it. Uh, but that's not necessarily what caused it. I do think Rand is right. I, I think there's very little liquidity uh, that's really out there right now that that liquidity has been sucked out uh, for you know basically the last couple of years. And so when you go into a highly illiquid market, and especially during a seasonal time in Bitcoin's history, you, you can get these cascading liquidations, right? And we, we talked about this, I think the last time I was on here as well, that the S&P often gets a pretty large drawdown in August or September of the pre-election year and that's that's usually sufficient to knock Bitcoin down below some of these critical support levels that, that Gareth was talking about, right? So it knocks it below the 20-week SMA, which is right around that like $28,000 level. It knocks it below the 21-week EMA. Um, we took out the 100-day. I think we took out the 200-day. And so what happens normally in, in this part of the cycle is, is Bitcoin gets a major secondary scare before the halving, right? So like we all talk about the halving. And then what normally happens with Bitcoin before the halving is the price halves or, or something around that level, right? So like secondary scares from cycles past that, that took us down the average drawdown after, after an event like this or uh, before the event like this is around 60%. So it's not to say that we have to go all the way back down to those levels. 2015, I think we only dropped like 40% or so from once we broke the 20-week SMA. But this is, this is what we've always seen. You know, it's, it's sort of like, the inconvenient part of the cycle uh, that we kind of have to deal with. Um, but but I, I mean, this is this is a, a cascading liquidation. And to, to go with what Scott was saying earlier with regards to the Bitcoin dominance, like why are altcoins not dropping? I, I, I think what normally happens is when Bitcoin drops this quickly, you can see dominance go down. But once we start to get weekly closes in this range, that's normally when the dread starts to set in for the altcoin market. And that's where you'll see altcoins likely capitulate on their Bitcoin pairs. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't jump to any conclusions just yet on, on the Bitcoin. Dominance. Yeah, I want to just maybe reiterate uh, what, what you just said. So I think the problem is you've got to look at altcoins into two, in two categories. The one category of altcoins is altcoins that are on centralized exchanges and have leveraged perpetuals, which is, which is driving the price. The other set of altcoins is the altcoins that are sitting on chain. So they don't have much leverage perpetuals. They don't have um, uh, much leverage against them. Now, if you look at how this this correction played itself out, you'll realize that the, the correction happened 
in the majority of cases where there was high leverage on, on, on centralized exchanges. So like if you look at like Rollbit or Unibot, which are the, I'm using those as examples because they're small tokens that are growing very quickly, but they don't have many derivatives. What you realize is the price of those never came down because there was no open interest and there was no leverage. And so I think why Bitcoin, why the dominance may have gone down instead of go up is because Bitcoin is very sophisticated. And if you look at the altcoin market, not as sophisticated. So a lot of, there was a lot of leverage, um, uh, liqu leverage liquidations and there, those leverage liquidations never happened on the altcoins because there's no leverage and no derivatives. And Rand, to add to that, you also obviously have the fact that in the midst of the bloodbath, there was some quote unquote good news about Ethereum that we likely would get an Ethereum ETF futures approval in the coming days. And Ethereum, which is the heavy, most heavily weighted in obviously Bitcoin dominance and the strongest altcoin, if we're going to call it that, actually went up versus Bitcoin yesterday. So that could also be probably skewing it a bit. Uh, Benjamin, I saw you lift your mic. Do you agree? Uh, no, I don't. Um, so if, if, if you look closely, I, I, I mean, did Ether, I know, I mean, I guess, did it actually close the day green yesterday? Yeah, Perhaps. it closed the day green after a long week down and is up on the day today. So it, it okay, basically yeah. opened, it, it opened yesterday at, uh, I believe it's marginal, right? 0.629 or something closed at a point. Oh, excuse me, 0.063 and is currently at about 0.0637. Okay, yeah, then then you're correct about that. I I mean, I I think my my view is that it's just noise and it will correct itself in due time. Like I don't I don't see that it's necessarily fundamentally changed anything. I I also want to mention that for those that are following the dominance on trading view, this is sort of like a petty observation, but do be aware that the the definition of of total market cap on trading view is in the process of changing, and so they've basically added like ten billion or 12 billion dollars worth of new coins into the metric over the last four to five days had they not done that the dominance would be half a percent higher on trading view uh so just be aware that there's sort of some definition changes going on right now that's not to say that alts haven't held up well they have during this drop um but i i don't know if anyone was watching the real-time capitulation but there was a period where the dominance was like at like 49% or 49.8. And then it went all the way up to like 50.7 within like a second. Uh, I, I think that we've, we've sort of gotten a taste of what's likely going to happen here in, in the next few weeks once Ethereum really begins uh, the final drop. And I think, it's the, I, I think it will be the collapse of the Ether-Bitcoin pair that will mark the end of the, of the altcoin reckoning. You know, I want to tell you a funny story. You asked that, you said you don't know who was awake or who was watching the capitulation. So in South Africa, this all went down at about one o'clock in the morning. So this, this all started happening at about one o'clock in the morning. And yesterday I got a Bybit pillow. So uh, this is the true story. It's a real pillow. It's called a moon pillow. And it, it's a, it's a pillow with a pillowcase and everything. And then, you, it has a, it's linked to your alerts on Bybit. So as soon as you get alerts on Bybit, the pillow starts to vibrate. And yesterday was the first time that I actually tried to use this pillow. And at like 12 o'clock at night, one o'clock in the morning, this, this pillow just started vibrating. My wife, the look on my wife's face was priceless. You actually want to be woken up by price alerts? Oh my God. This is, this is on one of the, this no, no, is one it. of the I, worst. I uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm actually. Do you put a quarter in the bedside table and it shakes the whole bed? Do you remember those from the 1980s? Uh, that's like the worst thing ever. I'm sending you a pic. I'm gonna tweet a picture now of of my Bybit moon pillow. It's a, it's a, it's a real thing. I also thought it was a joke, but it's actually not a joke. It's a real thing. 
Um, I'm just going to get someone to snap a photo of it. I'm going to actually tweet it so that you guys can see. My it. wife would literally kill me. I put my phone on do not disturb. So, so Gareth, uh, I'm just going through the summary from the team. So it says Bitcoin is sitting on the 200-day moving average support level. Can you just expand on this before we go to James, Gareth? Is that true? It's well below. Yeah. It's below. Yeah, I think I think it's below. Isn't it below, guys? Yeah, yeah it's, it's below. It's way below. It's below. Yeah, it's, below. it's below the two. It's below every meaningful MA on both. The so there's really nothing. Weekly. There's really no solid support level now till we hit 25k. Correct as uh, well, Gareth. Which we did. <laughs> right, we did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then on some exchanges, we already hit it. But but again, that those happen to be like higher leverage exchanges. The one thing to keep in mind is that those those moving averages now become resistance on the way back up. So it's like not only did you break them and with no support now below till 25. But even if we start to head back up, there's going to be resistance now at those levels. Makes sense. Uh, James? Yeah, I have a slightly different take. You know, for those of you that know me, I, I don't really follow technicals so much. It's not that I don't disagree with them. I just look more at fundamentals. And I, I think there's like a combination of things that have precipitated this. Of course, as what was mentioned before, super low volatility, super low volumes at the moment, leave the market very vulnerable to any large trade. Um, you know, and then... Alongside that, we've had obviously what's gone in China, in China that's a negative thing. Um, and then we've got regulatory actions. And I think there was a, an article posted by Coindesk yesterday. And I think it was incorrect. It was basically saying that um, all SEC has postponed, well, the headline was incorrect. The SEC has postponed all decisions till 20, March 2024 or something like that, which is actually misleading. So and what's very interesting, if you look at this price correction, we're right back at the point where we were in uh, just before BlackRock announced the filing for in June for, for an ETF. And, and I think the market's starting to realize now that things economically don't look great from a macro perspective. Oh, sorry, from a regulatory perspective, people are coming back down to earth and just saying, right. But, you know, this is actually, we're not but, imminent. But can I, can I, but, but can, the, the question I have though is that the argument that was made a while ago is that, hey, the, the economy, the global economy, mainly the US economy is actually doing better than expected. So that they expect interest rates to keep rising. But now what we're saying, okay, there's weakness in the economy. Isn't that good news? Can we expect the printing machines to start? I think Rand was saying it last week, he was talking about, and he just dropped, I'll bring him back up. But he was talking about how he expects the printing machine in China to kick off and that would uh, trigger a uh, bull market or runs that back up? Yeah. I mean, just, uh, Mario, just so if you look at the futures market, you can see that they're pushing out their rate cut expectations. I mean, Goldman's has just pushed it out to June 2024. You know, we've got some big events coming up. We've got Jackson Hole on the 24th to 26th of August, and that'll be a really good indicator of what the Fed's thinking. But yeah, I mean, I do think that the economically things are getting worse, but there's still a very, very polarized market out there. The bulls and the bears on that front. And Ren, on that particular point that I made, um, like if we continue seeing weakness in China, could that turn out to become a bullish thing for risk assets if they start printing? Yeah, so I mean, I've, I've actually had many, many this week. I've spent a lot of time speaking to people. We were, I recorded a few episodes. I did a couple of shows, etc., about this whole China situation. The consensus is that the only way out of this for China is to is, is stimulus and to and to print money out of thin air. That um, if you think about it, it's 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 similar. It's not that dissimilar from the U.S. housing collapse in '08. And there's actually a playbook. You know, the Fed. It took the Fed a while, but it. Um, it, uh, it, it, there is a playbook for how governments can get themselves out of this, and that is by printing money. Now, what Gareth pointed out on my show today um, 
was was he said, look, you know, the difference between China printing money and the U.S. printing money is that China doesn't need the the the, the left and right between the left and the right. You know, it doesn't need a tug of war between the left and the right. If China wants to do stimulus, it happens. And he he actually came on the show this morning and said, probably by Monday morning we start getting sim- um, uh, uh, start getting stimulus. So the one I'm going to say it's a blessing, but the one way that the one good thing that may actually come out of this is that we we actually get uh, stimulus as a result of this. And uh, and if we get Chinese stimulus and that starts to increase liquidity in, in global markets, that could be an amazing thing. Um, but again, there's other headwinds. There's Japan, which is which, there's headwinds in Japan. Um, yeah, I think it's... So you think... I'm not, just to, to kind of on, on that point, because we for anyone listening saying while well, we're talking about China, like do do you agree with this thesis that um, Benjamin did point out that the narrative follows the price, but like to to kind of connect the dots for why the the, the movement was so extreme yesterday again, it's the, the biggest drop since uh, since FTX, um, not the biggest drop. What what was the number? The comparison to FTX, biggest the biggest liquidation to FTX, yes, one one billion dollar. Yeah, exactly. So so um. Linking that to to Evergrande's announcement of the chapter chapter fifteen, chapter 15, yeah, chapter yeah. fifteen bankruptcy, um, it, that's a fair uh, you know to to kind of link it to anything that could be what triggered what happened yesterday. There's nothing else to compare it to. SpaceX's rumor is pretty silly in my opinion. Hey guys, so we're going to talk to Macro Rand. Go ahead. We got to go to McGlone after Rand because yeah, he's going to so, have the best perspective here. Yeah. So what I I mean what I've learned is that actually the news follows the charts. Um, the chartist will tell you if it goes down, it's going down to this level. And if it goes up, it's going up to this level. Um, and then basically what happens is that the, you get the move either up or down. And then you try and force fit the news to match the narrative of why the charts went down. You know, like, so it's, you know, it depends, it depends on what your belief system is. If you're a technicals first, but you don't actually care about the fundamentals. Uh, and if you look at the fundamentals, you're only using the fundamentals to justify the move that just happened on the charts. And let's go to, to Mike. Mike, um, and maybe we can start discussing a bit further the, the, the news from China well, and how morning. serious it is there. How are you, sir? Good morning, everyone. I appreciate you having me on. I do appreciate the comments, and I really appreciate what Rand has said about China. What China stimulates is expected if it doesn't happen massively that's a problem it's going to happen it's just the way it always works in history the key thing i want to point about bitcoin is me digging in more and more into my history and markets is i see bitcoin right now is very similar to the u.s stock market in 1930 right before it bounced and it rolled over hard there's so many similarities you'll see that in the tape on monday i'm writing about it i wrote about it a little bit recently and it just pointed out the facts that the number one reason for this market to continue going down is the liquidity that pumped it is still going away. So I like to compare the bottom line as you look at the U.S. government too. you know, yesterday was around 5%. You can lock in riskless returns for next two years at 10%. Every rational investor and money manager, wealthy person on the planet who's not doing that is irrational. I think that's what's happened. We're seeing a giant sucking sound of money going that way. And it's just getting started. Now, the key thing that always happens in history is you have to have what Rand said is the price leads the narrative. And I really appreciate what Garrett said about, oh, it's going to go down because it went down or it's going to go up because it went up. And that's what a technician does. But those of us who have done this for a long time and lost a lot of money doing it and made some money realize you got to completely ignore the charts and focus on the macro. And the macro for all risk assets is extraordinarily bearish risk assets. And Bitcoin is the most, has been one of the best leading indicators. So if my narrative plays out, which I do think is going to happen, this is going to be the biggest 
global economic reset of our lifetimes that Bitcoin should lead the way down. Why? Because it led the way up. It's doing that now. And the question I ask myself is, what changes this trajectory? First thing you almost always need is a long and variable lag to Federal Reserve easing. Now let's talk about the stock market. Everybody's gotten bullish because they think this recession thing has gone away, but that's typically how it happens. It, you have to get people excited and think it's not over. And then what's human nature do? You got to get slammed to the floor. I'm just pointing out facts of history. So I think that's what's happening. The whole thing's rolling over. Bitcoin's a leading indicator. And the bottom line is the Fed is still tightening. So let's just look at two last examples of the stock market bottoms. It bottomed in, uh, let's see, March 2009. The Fed started cutting rates in September of 2007. The, uh, the bottom before that was right around 2002. I think it was October. The Fed started cutting rates in December 2000. We haven't even started cutting rates. In fact, if you look on the terminal, I just look at this and expectations the Fed's going to keep hiking rates. So to me, this is a classic example one of the biggest pendulum swings in history. We've had way too much liquidity pumping. The most recent example in history of the kind of liquidity we got in the last two years was the big pump in stock prices up to the peak in 1929. And now we're going the other way. It's just the classic case. And I see that happening in the curve. You see it happening in producer pricing indexes. You see it happening in commodities declining and copper declining. It's just now we're getting towards that last vestige of the stock market catching up and Bitcoin's leading the way. So the question I'll ask myself and leave you guys there is who on this um, podcast, most people I understand are probably have direct connection with cryptos going up, prices going up. And who has not made a lot of money and should not be locking that into U.S. government to, you know. So the whole history of cryptos, you haven't seen a 5% riskless return over one year. This to me is what the headwind is. And I, um, I just have to point out facts of history. It's just getting started. So I'll mention China. China is what I've been pointing out for a couple of years now. I think China is, China is a good combination of what happened with peak Soviet Union and peak Japan about 30 years ago. The Nikkei peaked around 40,000 in 1989. I remember it well. I was in the trading pits and still hasn't gone above that level. What was it? It was a property crisis. It was massive. The big difference now is we have China. It's not China anymore. It's one person. That autocratic leadership just always fails, and it's getting worse and worse. The, the comment I got from my colleague in Hong Kong this morning that said internal only was as bad as I thought it would be, and his question is, yeah, we're going to get stimulus, <clears throat> just like we got stimulus in the 30s. In 1929, Fed started cutting rates. Fed st here's, I'll leave with this. The Fed started cutting rates in Q4 1929 as the stock market started rolling over. <clears throat> the Fed's still hiking rates. But if you see, so, so Mike, if you start seeing China pump liquidity into the market, could that change? Could that extend the bull market a bit further? As you said, the, the U.S. still has, uh, the Fed's still going to be raising interest rates for longer, most likely. So still a long way before we start cutting interest rates in the U.S. And if China starts to print money, as we expect, and as you mentioned, as Rand mentioned, others have mentioned, then doesn't it make it too early for the great reset that you mentioned? Oh, no. no. The pivot comes before the, the crash, the, as Mike the, said. But go ahead. Exactly. Mike. You got it. You, if, if China does not stimulate massively, that would be a problem. Expect it. It's just like daytime comes after nighttime. It's going to happen. It's already happening. You just might not see it. But what's happening with the China Yuan? I fully expect it's around seven. It should pop to eight in a heartbeat. That's where it was the last time. We have the spread right now between the U.S. two note yield and U.S. is almost double the yield in China. Now, if you're just running money, you can't really short the, the um, play with currency in yuan, but the U.S. dollar is incredibly expensive to short. 
And what I see there is just what happened in Japan, what happened to the Soviet Union. China's going to do everything they can. But look at their number one ex- export customer is Europe. Now, they've kind of pissed them off with this war. Exports are declining. The number two export customer was the U.S., the number one country that exports to the U.S. The U.S. now imports more from Mexico than China. This is just getting started. That's my point is expect the stimulus from China, expect bounces in risk assets. And I think the prudent thing will do be to do when you get those bounces in risk, risk assets is to sell. Mike, I want to. We discussed this on Monday. Uh, you, myself, James Lavish, Dave Weisberger, and I did something rare at the end of uh, the conversation, and I said, "What's your target to the downside?" Right? And it's funny because we certainly didn't think that 25 was coming so fast. But basically, I think Dave said, you know, he would be bidding 24 to 25. I said I was bidding 25 and 20. James Lavish said 19,400. You said double bottom at 15. Well, let's look. At, I, I'm, I'm, that's optimistic. I'm an optimistic person, but I'm realistic about markets. It's, the bottom line is typically these kind of things, if it's as I think it's going to be, you typically get 90% corrections from the peaks. And that means around below 10,000 in Bitcoin. I hate to say it, but it's just where we were a few years ago, right before COVID, it was about 10,000. And people just seem to forget how fast and how far we've come. And that's the number one thing to remember in all markets is markets that move parabolic like this, almost always correct. China, it's not a market, but it's a country that hasn't had a normal correction and a parabolic rise. It's getting it now and for good reason. Bitcoin, to me, looks just to me like the Dow Jones did in, in 1929, 30. It started rolling over. And the thing is, though, what's the difference now is what's unique is it's kind of it was basically the partner of the biggest pump and liquidity ever. Remember, what did what was the reason for Bitcoin? It came out of the end of, you know, came out of the financial crisis when we were all just pumping the system with money and, you know, holding a, a risk, a, a digital version of gold in a world where you get no interest and you get zero interest and negative rates. And Europe, that made a lot of sense. It still does. I completely believe in the technology, but having a significant correction in the price when the Fed wants it to happen, is number one, just don't fight the Fed. And still, I'm, I'm sorry, here's the key thing I want to point out that I've been wrong. I fully thought a year ago that bond yields would be um, bottoming or peaking and price bond markets would be the better place to go. The fact to me that the Federal Reserve is still tightening in this view that I had for almost a couple of years now is to me is going to make it all worse. And it's just the key thing is every central bank on the planet is still trying to catch up with the Fed. But now we're at the point where everything's starting to tilt over. This is early days. You got to give this some time. And it's just like I heard recently with a friend of mine who owns condos prices in, in um, Florida. They're just starting to turn over. It's just the macro big picture here is just what you'd expect if you study history. And I'm trying to do more of it after the biggest liquidity pump in history. Bitcoin was cryptos are part of it. And that's for the altcoins. We all yeah. know altcoins, most yeah. of them don't have value. Bitcoin has tremendous value. I believe in it. But it doesn't mean it can't get back down a lot. And then, you know, look what Amazon did. It went from, what, 100 to 7, and then, then we know the rest is history right up. That's just a recent stock. I'm looking at this in the macro, and it's, it's taking time, but it's that narrative that this recession isn't happening and the Fed's still tightening is what I'm afraid of. Is it, yeah. uh, Scott, can you, can, I want to, if you don't mind, is there anyone that's bullish on the panel that could they kind of balance well, it out? Yeah, Mario, I wanted to say, I know Sean, I know that Sean needs to leave in, in a bit. And obviously the talk of the town earlier in the week was the 150 to 180,000 target from Fundstrat. Obviously, Sean is the head of crypto over there. So maybe he has a different opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could say that. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. I guess, you know, first thing, I don't know if I can maybe 
circle back to Mike's view because um, he sounds like the Uber bear here. I'm just wondering like what his time frame is on that. And, you know, if your logic is that, you know, people will seek refuge and attend your yield yielding, real yielding 2%. Um, but at the same time, we have this huge recessionary collapse. You know, how do you foresee governments paying that real yield uh, without, you know, real economic growth? And if we have real economic growth, that's not a recession. But obviously, the other alternative is printing more money, in which case, you know, central bank liquidity increases and Bitcoin does really well. Um, completely agreed, Sean. This is what's got to happen. At some point, there's going to be printing of money. But let's look at current trajectories. And I, I wanted, I've been pointing this out for you. It's the 100-week moving average in Bitcoin is, is kind of in its steepest downtrend ever. I'm like, okay, got it. It's a downtrend. If you want to fight that, good luck. And is there a good reason for, for that to continue based on the fundamentals of liquidity? Yes, the Fed is still tight. You got it. What's happening? And then now we haven't even seen the expunging of, of wealth. Now, to me, that's going to come. It happens in all recessions. If you have an expunging of wealth, yes, eventually the Federal Reserve and the government starts printing money. But here's the facts about printing money. Typically, it takes about two years when you, the Federal Reserve first starts adding liquidity, first starts easing for the stock market to decline. Now, Bitcoin's a little different. We haven't seen these cycles in Bitcoin yet, but I agree with you. It's going to come. Maybe it's going to trade like more like gold, but this is the initial part where all correlations go to one when markets go lower. This issue, issue right now is the stock market's still up. Bitcoin's still up on here, but it looks like it's rolling over. It's just Bitcoin's the highest beta. It's the fastest horse in the race. And if we're going to remove money from the system, which is what the Fed wants, Bitcoin's got to suffer. The time frame, that's the hard part. But here's what typically happens. You have to stop out those leveraged longs. And like James mentioned, the you know, market's basically black, back to where it went, where, you know, when BlackRock first came out with applying for an ETF. Remember, that hasn't been approved yet. But what we saw there was, to me, one of the classic cases of a decent blow-off top. When I heard so much bullishness based on the hopium for an ETF, and I thought, well, good luck with that one. And now we're seeing those people getting stopped out. The bottom line is even what Rand said, low liquid liquidation levels usually get liquidated. You've got to take those people out. So anybody, I've heard these people say it for so long, I'm irresponsibly long Bitcoin. Like, good luck. Just heard these things before. You typically have to flush, cause pain. I just think the pain is just getting started. And then I do agree. And at some point, it's going to do what Amazon, go to seven, maybe go up to 2,000. But we're nowhere near that bridge. We have to cross the first few bridges of getting past this period, which I think could be a couple of years. Go ahead, Sean. Okay. Yeah, I know. And, and look, I, I think I'm very pro risk management. That's a big part of what we do is, you know, advising our clients on how to manage positions in between those cycles that you mentioned. I guess from my perspective, it's just, um, you know, governments with a debt to GDP ratio where it is right now, 140% or, or what have you, um, you know, we're, we're kind of backed in the corner here. Either we have this uh, episode of, you know, crazy uh, disinflation and real economic growth, in which case, you know, I think Bitcoin benefits from that. We've seen historically uh, Bitcoin has, you know, correlated quite well with PMIs. Um, or, you know, we have the opposite. Uh, we have, you know, a, whether it's a large credit event or, um, just a, a deflationary spiral, uh, you know, a large recession, in which case, uh, you know, central banks are going to continue to do as they've done over the past decade or so and print money hand over fist. So I, th I think e either way, you know, I, 
in one case, you know, you're investing in Bitcoin as this, you know, quote unquote tech tech stock, right? It's not a tech stock. We all know that, but that's that's the one investment use case. Or, or in the the latter case, in the def- deflationary spiral case, it's really just a hedge against, you know, monetary debasement. So, by the way, so, guys, just really quick, yeah. we have about seven minutes until there's a likely grayscale decision. It, it came in down. Their, uh, case against it, the SEC. It, it, so. it came down. It's not. It's oh. not. Uh, it didn't come out today. But they were posted. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, they, this is a uh, this uh, part for the course, right, James? <laughs> yeah. Surprise, surprise. But I just want to respond a little bit what Sean said because let's not forget. I still think we're turning Japanese. What Sean pointed out is things I've heard for decades. I mean, literally decades. I was in a cover of a. Albany Times in 1994 pointing out the deficit. And here's a key correlation I want to point out that's a fact is if you're worried about those kind of things, you should be buying U.S. government treasury bonds and gold because U.S. government, by the way, because it is a base currency and typically it's a deflationary situation. And what you've been saying, oh, bond vigilante thing, that has not worked ever yet in this country. I've just seen it. I mean, I've heard it for decades so at some point it's going to i completely agree bitcoin fits in that bucket but so does gold and at some point when we get this debasement of the currency which happened in 1933 and that's what really bottomed everything when we went off the gold standard um it'll come but in the meantime the key question you need to ask yourself is what is the trigger it takes for the fed most notably the fed to really start printing money and throwing liquidity at the system the bottom line typically almost always it takes a lower stock market so I'll just give you a lot, like I gave you the last two examples. You had to have a pretty significant down stock market before um, the Fed really, um, to really get that liquidity pump since 2000. That was the decline from 2000 to 2002, and then the decline from 2007 to 2009. Fed's not going to pump liquidity until it makes, until it's told to by the markets, and that's the lose-lose here. The fact that equities have been going up, rates have been going up, the Fed's kept tightening. That's part of the reason I think we're in this situation now. That's, I think, for all risk assets. It's and as far as one other thing I'll mention, if you're a fiduciary, the number one thing you should be focused on right now is riskless U.S. government securities. U.S. government, two notes, giving you 10% in two years, 5% now, is any portfolio that's not going that way, I think it's good luck explaining that to your clients as a fiduciary. It just hasn't happened. We haven't had those levels in about 20 years. That's what most Bitcoin people don't get yet. The competition for assets that don't provide any returns is overwhelming. Yeah, I would love to get people's opinions here then on what this means for crypto from what they're looking at. Rekt, man, we haven't had you on. We've we've talked about getting on here quite a few times. What's your opinion on this move and what's happening with the market right now? Yeah, Scott, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, it's been a it's been a while that we've been trying to uh, arrange something. Uh, but it's really interesting from a technical perspective what's going on in the market. Um, for a while now, since early August, we've been seeing a weekly bearish divergence under the hood of the price action in the RSI, a solid green downtrend, or at least green on my chart, a, a downtrend on the RSI and higher highs on the price action. But I feel like that bearish divergence really just fed into the emergent pattern that was the, the pattern that was forming on price action and that's the double top and what's really interesting about this double top that's really clearly forming it's forming an m-shaped formation here is that the double top price action is at the base of this double top and that base is at around 25,900. so you know a few weeks ago back in mid-june when we reversed quite strongly from that region from the same region this time uh 
we might see some downside wicking below that key level. But if we see a weekly candle close below there and flip that into a resistance, then we might not actually reverse from here. And one of the things about that situation is that we're seeing seller volume, but it's not actually reaching the seller volume from previous reversals that we saw in early March, late March, even mid-June. We're actually seeing about half of the seller volume. So that just indicates to us that seller exhaustion isn't just yet in. We're still maybe waiting on that seller volume to come in. Will we see some seller volume come in over the weekend? Technically, the weekly close hasn't closed yet, but we still need to see at least double that sell-side volume just to have a bit more evidence that seller exhaustion is coming in. And uh, at the moment, this double top has been forming for a while. We're seeing it play out, and it's quite striking to me how quickly we've seen the second part of this double top form because for every double top, it has two parts. Uh, it forms the letter M, so half of the double uh, top is half of the M and the other the half. So the first half took 90 days to form, and the second part of this double top formed in 60 days. So, And this crash is evidence to how quickly we've just blasted through those levels because in the past few months where we were forming the first half of that double top, we just saw zigzagging price action in a downtrending channel, just going down, respecting the supports, respecting the resistances. But, but but just one question in terms of those resistance levels, Rekt, how do we break through them so quickly? Like, again, I'm not, I don't understand technical analysis that well. Um, so usually when, when someone says, you know, Gareth gave us and, and other analysts said, like, you know, we've got these different resistance levels. And um, obviously it's not uncommon for these resistance levels to just be destroyed for various reasons. But what would you make out of this? Is that just because it's a double top, that means the resistance levels don't have that same impact? Or is it the lack of liquidity in the markets? That's a good question, Mario. I'm sure it's the lack of liquidity as well, because if we look at the volume, when we were forming the first part of that double top, we had uh, an inclining volume. We had high levels of whether that's buy volume or sell side volume. So we saw a lot of reaction at the supports and reaction, rejection at the resistances. But what we're seeing right now in the second part of this uh, double top is that we're seeing actually declining volume. We're seeing very low volume levels, and uh, previously in the first part of the double top, those volume levels were much higher. So we'd get a lot of, for instance, sell side volume. If the seller volume came in, the, bear, the bears were quite strong and would be able to move price uh, to the downside. But what we're seeing in this part of the double top is that the bears aren't necessarily strong in the recent weeks. They weren't really strong to push price down. Correct. Really, really quick. I, I tend to agree with you, but... There's also the argument with the same thing that there's no buyers, hence why there's less volume because it's easier to push through when there's no bid. Exactly. There aren't. There is no buy volume. It's predominantly been declining volume, but seller volume. And what we're now seeing is the breakout on seller volume, but that seller volume can still cascade quite a bit. The bulls are nowhere to be found and just breaking through those supports so easily just shows to us this isn't necessarily yeah. high seller volume compared to a few weeks ago. In, it's still right. producing. Including both 200 MA. Exactly. Including, including the 200 MA on the daily and weekly. Scott, Scott, let, Scott let, me, let me ask you a question then, Scott. What, what would you want to see for this to change? Like what, For that volume to come back, I'd love to get your thoughts and Benjamin's thoughts on this. What do we need to see for buyers to start coming back into the markets and volume to pick up, volatility to pick up on the upside? 
Well, listen, I mean, lower prices beget lower prices and higher prices beget higher prices. As silly as that sounds, you know, you're going to need FOMO now at this point. And after a drop like this, I think that that's gone for, for quite a while. And I think we need a catalyst, like a BlackRock ETF approval might do it. But to be quite honest, at this point, I think a BlackRock ETF approval in the short term sends price back to 31,000 because that's what sent price from 25 to 31. And the way that this market operates is when you heard that BlackRock was applying for an ETF in the minds of the participants, they basically price in the approval. And then when it doesn't happen for a few months, you see price sort of trickle back down and we're right back. So I think that uh, even the upside now after a move this significant to the downside is probably right back where, you, where we were. But I think it's also really important to note that as Ben has said over and over again, we're just in that part of the halving cycle where this is a whole lot of large ranging chop sideways before the halving. Go ahead, Dave. I see you have your hand up. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> people keep talking about this as if it's like some sort of market signal that is, you know, by millions of investors, etc. Uh, you know, the much more likely scenario here is that uh, the coiled spring that we've talked about, and Scott, we've talked about this on your show many times, when you have weeks of Bitcoin dropping to low and low volatility, that has consequences. And people talk about that the next move will be large, and you understand why. Now, why? The why is the kindling, the, fi the, the, the dry tinder is people who are in the market, in the options market, start leaning on prices. There's not that much liquidity out there, and there is people start getting leveraged. They get get you know complacent about being leveraged because, as a relative to volatility, the leverage looks safe and safe and safe. And when what all it takes and all it took, I mean, this was five minutes, literally five minutes of market activity, where the price on 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 OKX, which was the worst, did most of the liquidation. If you look at Coin Glass, I'll be talking about this in my weekly recap in detail, but effectively somebody in bitcoin usdt spot on okx put in sell orders that either were dumb i.e too large for the market in a compressed period of time unlikely more likely were momentum ignition strategies which is a classic manipulation strategy to take advantage of a market where you could have accumulated a balanced position of spot versus perpetuals and then sell the spot and then Per profit when your perpetual position makes you more money. Remember, perpetuals are more liquid than spot. So when you get spot-led selling in a compressed period of time that drives the that you can break through the wall of whatever bids there are, this is what happens. And literally, that's what happened. It was an almost an immediate. It was a five-minute reprice. This is tale as old as time for crypto, right, Dave? So this is literally just someone taking advantage of an opportunity to liquidate and start a cascade and make a whole ton of money, and that's what we've seen. Over and over and Scott, over. Scott, it's not crypto. That's right. That's right. It's not crypto. No, it's but, but, it's crypto. That's, that's but reading more into squeeze. it is yeah. wrong. All I'm saying is, is, yes, it's a tale as old as time. Yes, it's something that, you know, as long as the market allows it to happen, it will continue to happen. And we have to understand that, you know, this is, we're still in the same larger trading range. We're still in the sideways chop. And your charts this morning on your show, where you showed in the halving cycles that this pretty much happens every time because this sort of strategy can happen. Uh, is completely reasonable. I mean, look, I, it, for Mike, you know, and, and I love Mike, right? But for Mike to be right, we need to see some action, some follow through with the S&P, the NASDAQ, et cetera, et cetera. 
which I'm looking today and nothing. Now, is Bitcoin maybe the canary in the coal mine? Are we going to get a major crash in the fall? Maybe. But I don't think that you can link those two together. So I think sometimes, I forgot who said it earlier, sometimes the narrative gets formed after the price move. In this case, the narrative is some people made a shit ton of money by pushing the market down when it was vulnerable. And don't be terribly surprised if they're also accumulating to do the same thing on the long side when there's a catalyst. And, and aren't shorts historically low? That's the game we that's the game we live in. And <laughs> Rand, isn't funding really low right now? Funding now, funding now is very negative. Last I said, funding was very negative. But yeah, I, I think you know I wasn't very bullish walking into the show, but now that I'm hearing that everybody is so bearish, I'm actually thinking I'm actually going to go do some buying. Uh, maybe like it just sounds like I, I, I bought. Know that, yeah, I mean, I'm going to start nibbling. I'm not. I'm not going to go all in, but I, I think it, it's probably worth starting to nibble because you know, I, I know when people are this bearish, this is what happens. And I've also learned that in bearish times, the media will exacerbate the bearish stories. Before Benjamin, I'm just going to say, like, I don't know how you have the guts to do this, but uh, right, I can never go against the market. It's one of the hardest things to do. I don't. It's a very risky thing. Could be a very smart thing. I'm, I'm not going all in. Yeah, even I'm even nibbling, like Scott said, is just scary. Benjamin, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, so I was on this show two or three weeks ago, and um, you know, everyone was very. Uh, they're, they're say, sort of the same stuff was said. Like everyone was super bearish, and people were like, "All right, well, everyone's bearish. That means it's going to go up." And now Bitcoin's down twelve percent, and and altcoin. Some altcoins are putting in new lows, right? Sometimes people are bearish because there's a good reason to be bearish, right? <laughs> like that. Look, the, the the altcoin market, Bitcoin in general, right? They're not going to go into a sustained bull market until liquidity comes back in, and liquidity is not like the Fed's not going to pivot when the S and P is at forty three hundred. If the S and P is at like thirty three hundred, then yes, like the Fed, you know, the Fed could pivot, and they'll probably they would probably pivot before that. But I, I don't really think, you know, the, the riskiest assets, which are cryptocurrencies, more or less, they're not going to do well until liquidity comes back in. And I, I don't see it happening right now. It's not it's not to say that there's not some swing trades, right, to be made, money to be made. I mean, if, if, if price goes down quickly, you can always bounce back up. But this is the phase of the cycle where where we see cryptocurrencies get wrecked. And by the way, I mean, in, in prior pre-election years, we always get this correction in the S&P. And, and, and in 2019, the S&P put in new highs in Q4. And, and even, even in that case, Bitcoin still went down. So even in the case that the S&P goes up later on, that doesn't mean that Bitcoin's going to go up. And the reason is because Bitcoin, it, it's further up the risk curve. Cryptocurrencies are further up the risk curve. They're only going to do well once excess liquidity returns. So Benjamin, what would it take? To, so what happens if the ETF does get approved? Do you think liquidity will come back into crypto? No, I mean, the, 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 no, I don't. I mean, I, I mean, like, you know, Scott's right. If, if the ETF gets approved, like you could see some, some renewed interest in Bitcoin, but that doesn't mean that all that money is necessarily coming from outside the system. It, it could just be the same group of us, us here, just converting people, just converting their alts back to Bitcoin and, and the dominance going back up and, and just a rotation of capital. So I, I think you could see if those narratives play out, right, and if we do get a spot ETF approved, you could see more of a rotation of capital, capital away from alts into Bitcoin. But I don't think it would necessarily reflect a lot of new money coming into the space uh, at this phase of the cycle. I mean, the yield curve tells us the economy is sick, the, the Fed's not going to pivot until they have a sufficient reason to do so. And I, I think they're going to, I think they are going to go higher for longer for at least as long as they can to make sure that inflation doesn't just come back 
and we get an inflationary decade like the 1970s. Ryan, my question to you is the same one I asked you yesterday, uh, yesterday or two days ago. Is uh, the argument for the for the bull market that we're in a raging bull market? Would you say the bull market is dead, or is too early to make that statement? Ah, come on, two two days of a of a chart breaking of formation is not the end. I don't know, it's breaking market. every resistance level that Gareth has given us over the last it's few weeks, days, and a few Mario. months. It's two days. It's two days, Mario. Come on, Mario. It's two days. Right, so how long? How long? How, so what do you need to see to say the bull market is dead? I need to see this this pattern continuing for a sustained period of time. If we stay at those levels, uh, let's say we stay at those levels for a long period of time, uh, would you? If we stay at these levels, if, if we stay at these levels, I'm still claiming we're in a bull market. If we continue to go down, and we start breaking, you know, more structures and stuff like that, then I, I may concede that maybe this was the bounce. But I, I'm still in the I'm still in the mark the the camp of a bull market. I'm also st- still in the camp that that. The economic data is out there. Everyone knows about it and everyone's trading accordingly. So I don't know. I'm still still bullish. Um, but if we break a few more formations and if we stay down here for a long time, uh, yeah, then maybe I'll change my thesis. Scott? I mean, I, I as I said, and Dave's here, you know, Dave, I don't know if you filled uh, any any bids because you. Were, I think you said 24, 25 would be sort of the bottom of a move. But I did have bids sitting at 25,000 between 25 and 25,500 and a bunch of them filled. And when I set something, it doesn't really matter for me how it gets there. It just matters that it does. So I did fill, but like it's not all in as Rand said, but uh, my focus is very long-term. This isn't a trade. So if you ignore all of this and just accept that it's probably noise and look at that four-year cycle, as I've said over and over again, I'm pretty confident in 18 months that 25,000 is a very good buying opportunity for Bitcoin. So for me, that's what matters. In 29, 25, 20, not that different if we're at 150. Maybe, let's, uh, so. maybe what we should do is you did that on your show, Scott, is ask every speaker what their, what, if they had to guess what the bottom would be. Um, and I bet it's very different now than it was on my Exactly. Day, right? what, what, Mike, what was Mike's yeah. against? Like 11, 15K or something? No, Mike, Mike at that point, and then he joked today, which he did not make that joke, which uh, uh, I, I kind of giggled. He said, my optimist, he said, but I'm an optimist, right? He said 15,000, so a double bottom, basically. And he, he believes, by the way, that stocks are going way, way lower, kind of Great Depression uh, situation. So that is optimistic. That would be Bitcoin wildly actually outperforming the S&P in a scenario like that. I think he's talking about a 3,000 SPX, something like that. Uh, and I said, you know, kind of 20,000, but I'd start nibbling at 25. James Lavish said 19,500. Dave, you said 24,5 or something like that, right? Yep. So, so you see, it's just everyone's saying, like, everyone's number seems to be very close to where we are, uh, where we are now. So. Yeah. And to me, it doesn't matter how we got here. So like, I'm not going to pull bids because they're coming fast. That's, that, that's, you know, kind of let's get, uh, let's trading get, let, Let's get one more take here before we get the, the, the uh, Benjamin, Rec Capital, uh, and James predicting their bottom if they have one. Uh, Christian, want to get your thoughts on the, the move we saw yesterday and what has been discussed so far? Good to have you, man. Hi, Mario. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope you can hear me. Well, we can. The audio isn't great. Is there anything you can do to improve it, or that's the best it can be? Yeah, I'll try. I'm actually on the move as we speak, and uh, I had some trouble hearing some of the other speakers before because uh, I need to use a VPN to connect to the space. Oh, you're, are you in Dubai? Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, great insight so far. I, I think uh, I would agree with, uh, with, with the down level of, of around 20 at the moment. But then again, it, it's... To be very honest, I hadn't seen this coming. Probably nobody did uh, two days ago. 
um, uh, it moving this fast and, and you know, taking out so much uh, out of the market uh, in a short term period. So uh, I'm, I'm not too sure what will happen in the, in the coming days. Uh, I think in general it will take uh, quite a big hit still because there's a lot of uh, people are scared to move into the crypto market in general with, with so much regulatory changes happening and, and things pending. Um, but the, but, the, but, but the question, but, but, but then the question I have is like, how the how, how could this be the biggest liquidation we've had since FTX? I don't get it. Like, how could this be worse than when the the SEC uh, lawsuit against Coinbase and everything was considered a security and all the other shit that's been happening over the last few months? Yeah, that, <laughs> I wouldn't say I have a fixed answer for you there. It's uh, it's it's indeed uh, strange to see that this is the biggest moment right now. Um, I, I do think it has a little bit to do with, you know, the, the, the amount of liquidity in the space, the amount of people that are in the space in general. It has been so quiet for the last few months. I lost him. I don't know about yeah, you, Mario, but we should go around. for the Yeah, yeah let's get the prediction. I think he dropped out as well. But uh, Dave, James, I think David gave us your number. I think it's like 20K. Is that correct, Dave? Well, I mean, look, if, if <laughs> obviously things could overshoot. I mean, my thought when we were trading at 29 was that we'd probably see between 24 and 25. We're here now or we did. We got more or less close to it yesterday. I still think that's sort of where the clearing price is. Can we overshoot? Of course, we can overshoot. The fact is, is I have two words for you to give you some hope. If you the two words are home stake mining. And go back and watch what happened in the during the the, the decade of the 30s. Uh, with the only asset, because Americans weren't allowed to own gold, uh, the only asset that people could own reasonably to represent some form of sound money. And if, in fact, Mike McGlone is right, and we are going to go into a severe, severe recession, and the government won't be able to pump up markets, um, I'm not sure I agree. I do think that there's an, a, clearly a possibility of a correction. I think Bitcoin is this generation's homestake mining for a lot of reasons. So I am bullish just like Scott is in the long term. And I think these are squiggles and I certainly am not going to get my, my blood pressure to rise because I'm not leveraged and I refuse. I think using leverage on 80 or plus of all asset is insane. Uh, if you're a long-term investor, I think that the reality is, is I don't necessarily care, you know, if I think it's going to be much higher lo longer for a lot of reasons. And that's a different conversation. Yeah. James. Uh, you're talking to me, James. I am. Yeah. <laughs> sounds sounds been going a bit been getting a bit funny. Yeah, I think it's, today, it's dropping up. I saw Ryan and Scott even dropped out just a few seconds ago while they yeah. were speaking, but it should be good now. Let's give it a shot. Yeah, my thoughts are that you know twenty to twenty five. I actually I'm on the other end speaking to institutional clients, and there's quite a lot of appetite at this point. A lot of them recognise that. The Fed is backing off now, so it's more from a macro perspective. They're looking at things. Um, we've seen a massive unwind of short positions in, from the funds, fund flows. That's so probably quite badly timed by those investors, but I don't think there's a huge amount of pressure. We've seen probably most of the bad news priced now. Um, so maximum. I just, I just like it. Just seems it just seems hard to be bearish. I, I just don't see like the everyone's numbers and including uh, panelists that we've had that are bearish. The numbers are not much lower than where we are today. And then the amount of news we've had from PayPal to the ETF to the regulatory clarity and all the big guys coming into the ecosystem. Um, it, it just seems 
hard to fathom that we'll see a double bout bottom. What what Mike McClure mentioned earlier was like fifteen k, whatever it was. Yeah. Um. So it's just like I mean, it's like is this that the 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 upside potential is so high and and the downside risk is low based on every panelist. So so again, I'm a horrible trader for anyone listening, and and we'll talk about uh, Rand's uh, trading course in a second. But I'm a, I'm genuinely a very very bad trader. But I'm just trying to connect the dots, listening to everybody. Yeah, I mean, my, my view is my view is from a macro perspective that it's going to get worse economically in the US, and that's going to be seen as a, a head a Fed error basically, and that will be supportive for Bitcoin. That will be what for Bitcoin? Do you say supportive because any oh. Fed error, you know, the, the Bitcoin is a current is a is a hedge against monetary policy. That'll be a lo- long term supportive yeah. though. Short term, Bitcoin will probably yeah. get 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 hurt. Yeah, possible that. I'm, I'm a hodler. Yeah. You notice that the correlation between Bitcoin and the Nasdaq was was nothing on the way up and on the way down. All of a sudden, Bitcoin started to find its correlation with the Nasdaq. It just shows that risk assets you measure their correlations on the way down. You don't. You can ignore the correlations on the way up. So I I think I have a slightly different view, Mario, than a lot of the other um, the people that are, are bearish. Um, like I, I think worst case, you, you could actually see Bitcoin trade around the the 2019 highs, so around 13 to 14k. I think that's the worst case scenario, uh, in my view. So I I mean the the I think the reason why a lot of people say like 25k or 24k is because Bitcoin has been so bullish for the entire year. A lot of people kind of forget that when a downtrend starts, it can last a lot longer than they think it can. Uh, when price is going up, people can never imagine it going back down, and then when it goes down people can never imagine it going back up. So I, I think there is a real risk uh, to either a double bottom or a slightly lower low. 2015 was a double bottom. 2020 was a higher low. We could have a cycle with a lower low if we go into a, a more uh, a longer recession than when we got back in 2020. So I would say worst case is, is 13 to 14K, which happens to correspond to the, to the 2019 uh, all-time high, or the 2019 yearly high. And then, so, so in your in your opinion, Benjamin, so the last question I have for you is: um, so your prediction is thirteen to fourteen k as as I'm guessing is a worst case scenario. But what are some factors you're looking at where you you think is it will 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 um, you think will make it more likely that we'll hit those levels? And then what is the likelihood we'll hit higher levels, like a low of like I say twenty k instead of thirteen fourteen? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see. I mean, I'd like to see the uninversion of the yield curve. I'd like to see liquidity come back to the system. You know, if all that happens, and and you know, Bitcoin has has you know had this capitulation event and it's starting to move back higher. The closer we get to the having, and if perhaps we're on the other side of the unemployment rate uh, moving higher, then yeah, like then I might be willing to pivot and say, all right, well, the worst case scenario is not going to play out, but. The, the truth is that a lot of us here, including and especially myself, have never actually experienced a full business cycle because we've just been in QE for the last decade. Um, and there, there, there really is a risk here of, of you know, the unemployment rate starting to rise maybe late this year, early next year. And that's when the Fed will pivot. So at some point or probably next year, they'll pivot. But at some point, we'll get a pivot. And whatever happens, I mean, the stock market usually drops after the pivot, right? I mean, that's what history shows us. Um, so on the other side of that, wherever Bitcoin is, if it's a higher low, then so be it. Then the worst case scenario doesn't have to play out. But it all depends on how long is the Fed willing to remain this aggressive. And again, the reason they're remaining more aggressive this business cycle than any business cycle we've seen in the last 40 years is because we have high inflation. 
Uh, and so that's that's the risk that I think a lot of people don't consider as much is that, yeah, like they're not going to pivot as soon as you think with core CPI, you know, at, at, at four to five percent. So that's the, that's the worst case scenario. That's just if they if they haul, if they tighten for too long. Cool. All right, well, guys, uh, on this point, I think it's a good time to since we're talking about the price action and trying to predict what's going to happen next. Uh, Ryan, tell us about the uh, the trading course that you have. Uh, I think it's a good time to to all talk right, about it's, how it's not, it's not my trading course. It's not my trading course, but I mean, if this is if this has all been like technical jargon for you guys, and you want to learn learn to trade um, in a very simple way, Sheldon. Oh, Sheldon, uh, yeah, yeah, the sniper, sniper guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we call him the sniper. He's hosting a, a, a cohort specifically for Crypto Town Hall. There's a link in the tweet above. It's a it's a cohort that myself, Mario, and Scott are going to attend. We're going to try and teach Mario how to trade at the same time. You can learn how to trade. The course is free. There's no money. You don't have to pay anything. You, it, everyone's free, but there are limited spaces. So we 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 can only we're going to take in two thousand five hundred people from Crypto Town Hall on a first come first serve basis. Um, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's fun. It teaches you how to trade. There's no cost involved. So you're not risking any money. You're not paying anything. No, nothing like that. Um, it's a three week course. You probably need about an hour to an hour and a half a week. Uh, and I, I came out a much, much, much better trader having done that. I've read a, like a lot of testimonials of people that say it's changed their lives. It's really, really, really worth doing, I must say. And again, it's free, so just join in. But there are only 2,500 spots available for Crypto Town Hall um, because we are running a parallel cohort and our system can only handle 8,000 people at a time. And the other cohorts already got 5,500. So um, there's 2,500 spaces for Crypto Town Hall people. And I mean, join us. It's going to be fun. And I guess you've got nothing to lose except maybe an hour a week. Cool. Yeah. So, so that, that one triggered Rand to do it is I was just making fun of myself a few days ago about being a horrible trader. And uh, Rand, so he's talked about this course before, Sheldon's course before. And then he came up with the idea of doing one where he tries to turn me into a good trader. What we should do, Rand, we should, do, we should get people to start betting if I'll be a good trader or not. I'm good betting or not, by the way. You know, you know I, mean, I mean, let's put this whole thing aside. So when I met Sheldon, Sheldon had, he had just, you know, he, he had $400 in his pocket. He had just lost his dad. Today, he's a, he's a multimillionaire. Um, and he's done this through his trading. And he's one guy that I've, 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 I've met a lot of traders in my life. And I've worked with a lot of traders in my life. Sheldon has a gift of keeping it very, very simple. Like, he's the simplest trader that I know. And it's simple and effective. He's got results. He's got testimonials. So it's a case of like, you got nothing to lose. Try. You don't want to do it? Drop out. But I mean, just try it. I think it's a, it's a great. Do you know that uh, while while I'm there? Do you know that I'm a very anti-trading? Like the concept of trading is something I'm. I think learning how to trade is good. It's a good skill set to have, especially in illiquid markets within crypto. You know, NFTs and and meme coins and stuff. It could work uh, until it becomes liquid and it's too competitive. Um. So first, I'm a bad trader. Second, I think it's just you know I know a lot of people that made a lot of money trading, but also I know a lot of people that lost money. The more illiquid the market, the more trading. Um, would make sense. I know it goes against what a lot of people say, but for the re one reason I say that is because I think that when it gets too liquid, you're just competing with much bigger guys with much bigger teams. When it's illiquid, you're comparing. Forget about, forget about the trading. Forget about the trading because I also don't have time to trade. I don't, you know, there are people that trade in and out of stuff all the time. Forget about that. What the course taught me, which was unique, was how to understand the emotion of the market and based on that, to decide whether I'm part of the emotion or I'm being smart. And that's, that's the thing that I learned very, very, very simply. And since I've done that, I've got a lot less FOMO 
and I, I don't rush into buy things. Uh, I don't rush into buy things and I sell things much sooner because what the whole thing about what the course taught me is how to chart the emotion and understand. And now often when I'm, when I'm about to buy something, I always say to myself, no, you're actually being part of the emotion in the market. And then I step back and usually I don't take the trade. Now, if it's called the trading course, but I actually trade a lot less since I started trading it because I realized now that this, the, the thing that's forcing me to trade is my emotion of FOMO or, or, or fear. And what this course taught me was very simply to understand whether which part of the cycle. Did the course, and as I said, I take less trades. I, did I did less the course trades. tell you not to buy a damn pillow that vibrates every time there's a fucking drop in the market? Uh, but. Bybit sent it to me, and I'm actually going to send you one as well, so that you can you can you can experience. Yeah, it. I'll, I won't be using that pillow to sleep. Um, but what, what we'll, do, <laughs> we'll we'll go to, to the other sponsor. Bybit is the other sponsor of the show. So there's two pinned tweets above. If you want to join the trading course by Sheldon, where I'm going to give it a shot as the trading skeptic. Um, and see what happens to me and, and we'll about to do a betting pool if I'll be a good trader after it or not. Again, my genuine bet, bet will be that no, I will not be a good trader after that um, because I'm just really shit. But I think I learned a few things. So check it out. It's a course above. It's a free course and you know I'm not making anything off it. I think Rand is the same. I don't know. But I'm not making anything off it. But if you want to check it out, um, you could do so. And I know Sheldon. Sheldon's a great guy. Um, the other sponsor, or oh, this is the only sponsor, by the course not sponsoring, but Bybit is, um, is a sponsor of the show and there's an $8 million prize pool. Actually, it's really interesting. There's a trading competition by Bybit for to win $8 million. So what you could do is go to Sheldon's trading course, learn how to trade, then go to the other pinned tweet, go to Bybit, click on the link, join the trading team, and then win the reward that our team hopefully wins. We're, we're, we're playing with banter, Not Rand's so team. Fast. No? Not so fast. You, you, the Bybit trading competition, if you don't register in the next two days, because the, the trading competition ends on the 27th of August. And if you don't, you've got until the 20th of August to register and then um, you've got to com complete your trading by the 27th. And then the team with the highest P&L across their top 10 traders is the winning team. And I think earlier on today, when I looked at the banter team, we were coming 11th. Um, you can join any team you want. Um, I mean, we obviously should join the banter team. But uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. And you're not, you don't need to put a lot of money into your account. Play. Do you put real money? Do you put real money into the account? Yeah, you have to. You have to. Yeah, I think you have to have. I think the balance is three hundred or five hundred dollars in 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 the account in order to enter. Um, and, and obviously, you're trading real money. To, you're trading real money to trade. Cool. All right. And if you you can't reach the three hundred dollar uh, amount to be, be able to put it in, Ran is giving away free grants for anyone that wants to join. So just DM Ran and he'll give you a free grant to join at three hundred. DM Ran. Oh, sure, sure thing. <laughs> right, bro, we're going to jump off. Really appreciate it. There's a, an ugly red icon on the panel. This is the logo of the Crypto Town Hall. Click on it, follow it, because we're going to start hosting shows from there. And also, massive shout outs. I, actually, look at my account. I'm going to retweet something. Let me retweet it now. Romeo, I'm retweet the Killer Whales thing. Uh, Ran, I'm, I'm not sure if you're retweeting them as well. They're posting images. That's the reality show where uh, me and Ran were on. Um, I'm going to retweet another one now. Just check it out. They're going to come out in a few weeks now. And um, oh wow, is it is it is it a few? Uh, I, it, it was, I thought it was like late October. Isn't that a few weeks away? Where are we now? A few weeks is in not like two, three. I mean like five, six, seven. No. Okay. Isn't it? Okay, fantastic. Fantastic. I'm very excited to see. I'm very excited to see it because you know we only saw it 
on the one side of the camera and i really want to see how how it translated on the other side of the camera yeah you were a complete asshole i already talked to the to the camera people and they said man that ran guy is just not not what we expected so uh yeah they said they're not inviting mario my invite must have gotten lost in the mail mario's been cropped out of mario's been cropped out of season one as well <laughs> so i've just retweeted an image from there if you want to check it out everyone um but otherwise check the pinned tweets and scott's yeah your, your invite was lost in the mail they sent it to my address by accident so that's why i'm there weird how that happened <laughs> all right well benjamin it's a pleasure to have you man um and uh hopefully next time we have you will be a bit more bullish but it seems your um the, the the discussion we had a few weeks ago seems to be materializing and we're down significantly since then um and what's your um Actually, you already told us what your prediction is, so I'm not going to ask for it again. Guys, thank you so much for a bleak space today, um, and uh, hopefully we'll have a, a more positive space on Monday. We will do it if there's any breaking news in the market, dumps or pumps on the weekend, and we'll be covering it. Apologies for being late on this one. We just needed to sleep. All right, cool. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.